It's good to see everyone again this evening. Um, as James mentioned, we'll be continuing our study in the book of Hebrews this evening, going through chapter 11. So chapter 11, as he mentioned this morning, is often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame, uh, where the Hebrew writer goes through and lists uh, several individuals um, and the examples that they are to us of uh, good examples of uh, having faith in God. Um, the writer, you know, in the beginning of this chapter, he spoke of Abel and the faith that Abel showed and the sacrifice that he presented to God. He then moved on to speak of Enoch and how through Enoch's great faith in God, he was taken up and didn't see death. Uh, he makes the well-known statement that without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Also, uh, he discussed the faith of Noah in preparing the ark, and then last Sunday evening, Darren uh, covered Hebrews 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, uh, where the Hebrew writer highlighted the faith of Abraham and Sarah. So this evening, we're going to be begin taking a look at the remaining verses in chapter 11. And in these verses, the writer or speaker continues to bring to the hearers or the readers remembrance the faith of men and women in Israel's past. Uh, in verses 20 through 29, so the re remainder of this chapter that we haven't covered yet is verses 20 through 40. Uh, but in verses 20 through 29, the writer talks about the lives of Isaac, uh, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, and Moses. And then in verses 30 through 40, uh, he mentions Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So, you know, if we just count the prophets as one, uh, we have, you know, 13 individuals specified and 21 verses to cover, uh, you know, speaking about the faith of these individuals. So doing the math there, uh, we have less than two verses allotted per person. And, you know, even if the writer is Paul, uh, it would still be very difficult to unpack, you know, the lives and all the faith uh, that was displayed in these men and women in those that brief of a window. So my plan for this study is to cover you know roughly the first half of these verses, 20 through 40, this evening, and then Wednesday we'll cover the the latter half of those verses. So that'll allow us you know a little more time to dig into these individuals a bit instead of just you know mentioning the names very briefly and just you know having more of a high level study. So. This evening, we'll be considering Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 29. So if you'd like to turn your Bible there, we'll just start with reading this group of verses, and then we'll dig in a bit deeper. So I'll be reading from the New American Standard 1995 version. But there, beginning in verse 20, uh, the writer says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through on dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So, you know, even though we're splitting, you know, verses 20 through 40 into two lessons, I feel like each verse in this group of verses could really be split off into an entire lesson by itself. So we're definitely not going to be, you know, going through every little detail of, of these events that the Hebrew writer uh, mentions here. Uh, but we'll start at verse 20 and work our way through. So in Darren's study, you know, last Sunday evening, uh, the writer had mentioned the faith of Abraham. And here the writer continues down, you know, the line of the patriarchs and mentions the faith of Isaac. And he points out that the faith of Isaac was displayed in the blessing that he gave to Jacob and Esau. And the key thing really that stands out to me in that verse uh, is the last part where the writer says, even regarding things to come. Because, you know, that's the, the nature of faith, right? It's looking towards the future. Uh, this goes back to what the writer uh, said in verse 1 of chapter 11, where he said, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, I don't have faith that I'll uh, grow up in a home with parents who teach me about God and to love God. You know, that already happened. I don't have faith that I ate breakfast this morning. Although with my memory, sometimes I kind of do have to have faith that I ate breakfast because I can't really remember what happened during the day. Sometimes by the time I get to the end of it. But, you know, faith comes when an expectation hasn't been completely fulfilled yet. You know, I have faith that Kaylee and I, with God's assistance, will raise our kids, Sam and Eva June, uh, to be faithful and believe in God when they grow up and become Christians um, with his assistance. You know, they haven't been baptized yet, but I know that's what God wants, and I know, I know that's what me and Kaylee want, what we're working towards, uh, what we try to impress on them as being most important. So I have faith that those things will happen. And, you know, it's not that we can't see any signs of that coming true yet. It just hasn't fully happened. And this was very similar with Abraham and Isaac. So Abraham was promised that he would be a father of a nation whose descendants couldn't be numbered for their great multitude. Uh, they would be nor more numerous than the sand of the seashore, God told him. And finally, at quite an old age, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. So Abraham could see the beginning of the promise and the beginning of the expectation that he had of this great nation that would be from his house. But it was still in its infancy, the fulfillment of this promise. You know, that's similar, you know, to how it is with the example of, you know, Sam and Eva June now. Uh, Kaylee and I can hear them talk about God, you know, from time to time and how we should behave and what he approves of and what he doesn't. And as we do our Bible studies, we get to hear, you know, what their thoughts are about what we're reading and uh, how much they're understanding. Um, so that's the beginnings of the faith that we believe they'll have when they grow older. But, you know, we're not there yet. So Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding the things to come. Isaac is looking forward to that great nation that would come from his descendants. And, you know, Isaac was a bit closer to it than Abraham was. You know, Abraham only had the one uh, son of promise, which was Isaac. Um, then Isaac had, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau, so he had a couple sons. Uh, but we're still in those early stages. And when we're in those early stages of our walk uh, in our faith, uh, it can be challenging to keep our end of the bargain sometimes that we've made. 
Uh, sometimes we may feel like the promises are so far off uh, that we get discouraged and maybe we become complacent um, and we fail to keep our end of the promise. And if that happens, then we lose out on the reward because you know it, it takes our faith and it takes our uh, obedience for God to you know, follow through on his end of the promise of you know, providing that reward for us. So you know, Isaac could have considered himself and his two sons and thought, you know, if God really wants us to be this great nation and he can work you know, miracles kind of like he did through my father, he, was, he and uh, my mom, Sarah, they were so old they shouldn't have been having any kids, but he kind of worked a miracle through them to where they could you know, at least have me, but here I am and I only have two sons. Could he not have you know, made us a little more fruitful and had more kids than just these two. Uh, maybe this isn't everything it was cracked up to be. Uh, but evidently that's not how Isaac felt about it. Uh, he had faith and he blessed Jacob and Esau regarding the things that he believed were going to take place through God's promise. Uh, the writer of Hebrews then turns uh, in verse 21 his attention to Jacob for this one verse. It says, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship leaning on the top of his staff. So recently, you know, I gave a study on Jacob and his dysfunctional family, so I won't dig too deep into the life of Jacob, especially the first half or so of his life. Uh, but we see the Hebrew writer make a similar statement of faith regarding Jacob as he did Isaac. So obviously at this point when Jacob is blessing Joseph's sons, uh, he's on up in years. He's in his final days. Uh, this is after Jacob, now known as Israel, and his family have been in, uh, have come to Goshen, to Egypt. We remember from Genesis chapter 47, uh, when the family was just entering Egypt, uh, Jacob was already, you know, fairly up in years at that point, uh, when Joseph introduced uh, Israel to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, we remember, asked Jacob, you know, how old are you? And Jacob replied in verse 9, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. But, you know, even though when we get to the end of Jacob's life towards the end and he looks back on it and thinks, man, I've, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of evil that's happened in my days, uh, he had faith that God was going to bless the world through his family and that his family would grow and become a great nation just like his grandfather and just like his father had believed. So in Genesis chapter 48, uh, when it was reported to Joseph that Jacob was sick and he was nearing death, Joseph took his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, to go see Jacob. And the thing that was on Jacob's mind when they arrived was that he wanted to bless Joseph's sons. So he told Joseph that his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, would, be, would be his, would be Jacob's. And the rest of Joseph's sons that he would have after Ephraim and Manasseh would be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And Jacob then blesses them and gives praise to God in verses 15 and 16 of Genesis chapter 48, where he says, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the lads, let my name be upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then in verse 20, <clears throat> Jacob blessed them, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. So, you know, even if you as Jacob did, you know, look back on your life and think uh, it's etched with a significant amount of evil, 
you know, don't be discouraged. But instead, as Jacob did, you know, cling to the promises that God has made even more, knowing that better things are to come. So moving on in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, we read, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So we read of this in the last few verses of the last chapter of the book of Genesis. In Genesis 50, uh, verses 24 and 25, Joseph tells his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you will carry my bones up from here. So, you know, at this point, things weren't too bad uh, for the small nation of Israel. Uh, Joseph had not yet died, so the rulers in Egypt still you know, were familiar with Joseph and all the things that Joseph had done up to this point to help you know, the nation. However, you know, if Abraham passed down God's words to his children and grandchildren, uh, they would have known that God had told Abraham that you know, at some point, Abraham's descendants were going to serve in a land that wasn't their own for 400 years. And, you know, Goshen, this land that they lived in, wasn't owned by Israel's family. You know, at this point, all of the land of Egypt, except for the land that the priests were on, was bought back by Pharaoh during the famine. Uh, but Joseph had, Joseph had faith that God would keep his promise to his fathers and that eventually uh, his family would be brought out of Egypt. And Joseph's life is, as we know, remarkable uh, in the instances we can read of in which he trusted God despite what was happening to him and what was happening to his family at the time uh, is a great example for us to follow. So, you know, for the remainder of these verses we're considering this evening, the writer shifts his attention to Moses. First, he talks about Moses' parents. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, we read, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So from Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, uh, we know that Moses' parents' names were Amram and Jochebed, and they were descendants of Levi. And, you know, actually Moses, you know, was the great-grandson of Levi. Uh, we remember that at the time that Moses was born, uh, Pharaoh had given orders to all the midwives and then to all the people that they were to kill every son that was born to the Israelite mothers. But we remember that Amram and Jochebed refused, and they wouldn't follow this order. Verse 23 says they weren't afraid of the king's edict. So I don't necessarily think uh, that this means they uh, weren't afraid of the edict and that they you know, just didn't give any thought to it at all. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so secretive about hiding Moses for these three months and then secretly, uh, strategically placing him in that basket in the Nile River and floating him down and uh, to where Pharaoh's daughter was going to be bathing uh, for him to find, for her to find. So I think the point is more along the line that they didn't fear uh, Pharaoh in comparison to their fear of God. They knew that it was wrong to kill one of their children, and they feared more disobedience of God's expectations than disobedience of Pharaoh's expectations. Uh, so this is you know, also a great example to us. There may be times, you know, if we're at work or if we're at school or maybe we're among our friends and they try to influence us to get involved in something uh, that we know is wrong. 
And if we don't go along with it, you know, we may not be considered a part of the group anymore, or maybe won't be considered a good employee by our manager anymore. And we, we may lose a friend, we may lose a job. However, as with Amram and Jochebed, if what is demanded of us by our peers, or if something that we're eventually, uh, something is demanded of us by our country uh, that clashes with what God demands of us, then like they did, we should choose to obey God no matter what it is that we may be risking in this life, whether that's our money, career, friends, status, or you know whatever that may be. So continuing, continuing through Hebrews chapter 11, we read in verses 24 through 26, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, you know, Moses knew right from wrong, and he refused to stick his head in the sand and, re and ignore his conscience and his faith. So, you know, I don't really know how often he may have had contact, you know, really, if ever, <clears throat> with his Israelite brethren uh, or his parents or siblings um, after he was turned over to the house of Pharaoh uh, to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, we can infer through the event where Moses killed the Egyptian uh, he was beating one of his Israelite brethren that he was apparently able to get pretty close to him uh, if he wanted to. Uh, but as far as you know, whether or not he spoke with them at any time, I don't really know. And I'm sure if he would have, uh, that would have been frowned upon uh, by his, his family, you know, Pharaoh's family. And it seems like if he did, he didn't very often because when he tried to defend this Israelite, uh, he received a cold response from them in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 14 where uh, his Hebrew or his Israelite brother uh, responds to him and says, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So that makes me think that you know, even though Moses felt some loyalty to his Israelite family, uh, there wasn't really a lot of that reciprocated. I'm sure his his mother and you know father and some of his siblings, you know, maybe they did, but uh, I imagine there were probably a lot of Israelites who, uh, you know, didn't really view Moses in a positive light. You know, seeing him as uh, someone who had maybe uh, had been a traitor uh, to his brethren. So you know, even though Moses could have lived his life enjoying all the perks of living in the house of Pharaoh. Ignoring the plot of his relatives, uh, he instead chose to stand up for his Israelite brethren, and he suffered for it. Uh, he was driven out of Egypt after it became known that he killed the Egyptian, and when he came back to Egypt uh, to bring about their release, not only did he suffer ridicule from the Pharaoh and those in Egypt, but also he suffered ridicule from Israel. Egypt hated him, and Israel hated him because... He seemed to just be making their lives uh, even more painful. So it certainly didn't look like justice in the short term for Moses. You know, I can see being in his shoes and thinking, man, every time I try to do the right thing, I try to stand up for one of my Israelite brothers, and they just, you know, essentially like mock me for it. And then I have to flee Egypt and just, just trying to do the right thing. And now I come back just trying to do what God told me to do, 
everybody that was in the house of Pharaoh hates me now. Everyone that's you know in the nation of Israel hates me now because their burdens are becoming worse. Things don't seem to be getting better. I'm sure that was a very a frustrating and confusing thing. So it didn't really look like justice was taking place in the short term. Uh, it certainly wasn't what was easiest or the most pleasant for Moses in the short term. Uh, it was faith. Moses believed that he was doing the right thing and he acted in faith even when the results of his actions seemed to be accomplishing the opposite of what he had intended and even when everyone seemed to hate him. So, you know, it's a question to ask myself, uh, you know, are we determined to endure ill treatment uh, with the people of, you know, with the people of God rather than to enjoy passing pleasures of sin with the world? And Moses is a great example for us to look to uh, when we consider that question. I think it's interesting what's written in verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Moses considered the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So if you're like me, at first, when I just read through that initially, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can he prefer to suffer the reproach of Christ when Jesus hadn't even been born yet? Now, that's going to be a long time from now. So what's, what's going on here? Well, while that is true, Jesus hadn't been born yet, there's a constant that runs through, uh, you know, all, whether Old Testament or New Testament, who have loved God and been faithful to him. They encounter affliction, you know, just like Abel did when we, you know, go all, go all the way back to, you know, the first person that was mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, going all the way back uh, to the beginning of creation. So there's no son of God that he doesn't discipline. We know that from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 11 and 12, where it was written, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just, at, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So, you know, this idea of Christ's reproach uh, was that he suffered humiliation for standing up for the faith that he had in his father. Um, so because he came down and he you know, spread that message that God had given him uh, to proclaim to Israel, uh, he was, he had to bear reproach for that. And he unapologetically loved God and loved you and me, even when it denied him rest, even when it denied him peace, and denied him pleasure. Moses shared that same reproach through his faith in God, uh, through the same carrying of the message that God had given him to take to God's people. So, you know, once again, we have to ask ourselves, you know, if I am a child of God, am I sharing in that reproach? Uh, there are instances in my life where, you know, I'm running into uh, resistance from others and I'm suffering ridicule because of the stand I'm taking uh, for carrying the message that uh, God has for us to, to bring to the world, being the gospel. Or do we find ourselves, you know, sidestepping that reproach so we can continue being comfortable and not ruffle any feathers? So finally, we'll consider uh, the last few verses here uh, for this evening, verses 27 through 29. Uh, still speaking of Moses, the Hebrew writer says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. 
By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through on dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So I'm not 100% sure. Uh, in verse 27, uh, when it speaks of Moses leaving Egypt, uh, if it was you know, speaking of his fleeing Egypt uh, you know, earlier on, or if it was fleeing Egypt whenever he and the rest of the Israelites were uh, escaping uh, Egypt. But either way, I think the same conclusion applies. Uh, Moses feared God more than he feared Pharaoh, just like his parents, Amram and Jochebed, had. And speaking specifically of the events leading up to and during the Israelites' escape from Egypt, verses 28 and 29 mention two key moments that required Moses to display his faith in God. Uh, God had commanded something that I can only imagine would have seemed a bit strange at the time. I mean, I know they uh, already had a, a sacrificial system in place, so you know the slaughtering of animals and uh, ceremonial use of their blood and that kind of thing was not completely foreign uh, to the nation. But uh, God hands down this instruction to Moses for him to go to uh, the congregation of Israel and explain to them you know, how they were going to uh, get out of Egypt without any of their firstborn being killed. So he comes to him and he says, all right, God's going to kill all the firstborn in every house, and he'll kill the firstborn in our houses too if we don't do what he says. So the only way to stop his angel from killing our firstborn is for each family to take a male lamb with no defects, kill it at twilight, <laughs> smear its blood on your doorpost and the lintel of your house, eat the lamb's fl flesh with bitter herbs, with your loins girded, ready to travel. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing and leaving out a few details there, but, you know, that's while they do have ceremonial use of the blood of animals and, and making sacrifices, you know, the smearing it on your house so an angel doesn't come in and do something to your kids uh, could be a, a little bit strange. Uh, but this is going to signal uh, to that angel that he shouldn't come in and, and kill the firstborn. But Moses, he had faith that God would do exactly as he said, and he faithfully carried that warning to the people. And, you know, turning that around on us, you know, we know of judgment that's coming to those who don't obey God. So the question is, are we faithfully carrying that warning to the people as Moses carried that warning to the Israelites? Or do we think it sounds, you know, that might sound a little strange if I, if I say that to somebody else, and, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't bother warning others about what God has told me is coming. I hope we'll make the, the same choice that Moses did and that we will uh, not hesitate to deliver that message just as God has presented it to us in his word uh, to the others so that they may be saved. And finally, in verse 29, uh, we read of the faith of Moses and the rest of the Israelites, uh, really as they crossed the Red Sea during their escape from Egypt. So even with all of the miraculous events that had happened up to this point uh, with the plagues that God had poured out on the Egyptians, I'm sure that it was quite unsettling as they carefully made their way across the floor of the sea. Uh, but they trusted that it wasn't just some coincidence that was happening, and they believed that God would bring them safe to the other side of the sea. And, you know, a lot of times, even if we can't see it at the time, a decision that we make, you know, God may use that in multiple ways, uh, ways that we don't really understand whenever we decide to, you know, step out in faith and do that thing. So while this passage through the sea, 
I guess maybe it was kind of a shortcut. They, they ran into this barrier and here comes the Egyptians. You know, we just need to be able to get further. It, it wasn't just used as a way for them to get further away from the Egyptians alone. Um, it also was the way that God, uh, you know, eliminated the Egyptians altogether that were coming after them. It was God's means of destroying the Egyptian army. So even when we think there is no way that a choice can work out to our benefit, if we know it's, if we know it's what God commands of us, <clears throat> there's no situation in which God can't work that into you know, our benefit if that's what he wants. And even if it doesn't seem to turn out for our benefit in the short term, then it's just laying up treasure for us in heaven once this life is over. Because we know that there will be justice in the end. Uh, God is the ultimate judge and he will set everything right. We just have to endure to the end and share this same faith uh, as Moses did. So, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, and Moses set great examples that we should be working to display in our own lives. Uh, even if, you know, as it did with some of these individuals, even if God's promises seem far off, uh, don't get discouraged. Even if it may mean that we're risking our lives or our livelihoods or our friends, you know, don't compromise. Even if it means delivering a message that you know, some may think is strange and maybe they'll just completely reject, you know, keep working. And even if we can't understand at the moment why God commands us to make a particular choice, you know, have faith. No obedience escapes God's notice. And all of our faithfulness will be rewarded, whether that's in this life uh, the next life or both. So that concludes uh, you know, my thoughts on this first part of our study uh, of these verses 20 through 40. I hope it's been encouraging as we consider the faith of these men and women and helps us to see opportunities in our life uh, where we can uh, endure and be faithful just like they were.